Hey there. Welcome to the Victory Cigar Podcast. My name is Connor and I am the host of this show. You are listening to episode number six. You can expect a variety of discussions about sports. The MLB, NFL, NBA, NHL, and NASCAR racing will be the focus of the show, but I will talk about just about anything that grabs my attention in the world of sports. On this show, we're going to talk about all about the same things as last week, actually, really. Um, So we're going to talk about uh, the MLB, the NFL, and NASCAR. Again, uh, the MLB, we're going to check in to where those standings are looking like this week. Uh, after pretty much a week, I believe I recorded the last episode five or six days ago. So um, we're going to get a, a look at uh, how the MLB standings have changed over that time. And they have changed. There's been some teams eliminated officially. Uh, some teams have bounced around jockeying for position in the wild cards and in their respective divisions. We're going to talk about week three in the NFL. Going to break all that down. And we're going to talk about uh, NASCAR at Texas. And of course, I was there. Uh, so I'll be giving giving uh, my perspective on uh, on all that and uh, my thoughts on the race and the track and uh, the playoffs moving forward. So let's go ahead and check uh, on those MLB standings right now. Um, Baltimore still in command in the AL East by two and a half games over Tampa Bay. 97 and 59 is where they sit right now. Tampa Bay at 95 and 62. The Yankees uh, and the Red Sox, I believe, were both officially eliminated from making the playoffs uh, just in the past five or six days since we recorded the last episode. They are technically done, or officially done, uh, since they were technically still in it last week. Minnesota uh, goes ahead and clinches their division. They had not clinched as of last week. There was still a technical chance that uh, Cleveland or Detroit could have could have done something about that, but not anymore. Uh, Minnesota is your division winners in the AL Central. Uh, the Texas Rangers moved up uh, with, thanks to a hardy winning streak. I believe they swept Seattle, uh, and they won last night against uh, the Angels. So they uh, they swept Seattle, which makes Seattle's climb to try to win the division very difficult. Seattle is, if they're going to make the playoffs, they are probably going to have to settle for a wild card spot. Houston. Uh, is playing them right now in a series, and Seattle dropped another game last night as well. So they're now four games back of the Rangers for the division lead, and the Astros are two and a half back of the Rangers for uh, the division lead. Uh, honestly, the what the Rangers kind of want to see uh, would probably be to beat the Angels again tonight and have Seattle beat Houston tonight, right? So gain a game on Houston like that, uh, that would, of course, move Seattle into technical second place at that time. But then Houston beat Seattle in the final game of that series, which would shift things back to, uh, and of course, the Rangers complete the sweep against the Angels. That's what they're hoping to do, is uh, beat a bad Angels team here and uh, had their their lead there. But uh, that I think that's kind of best case scenario for Texas. They need um, Texas needs to sweep LA, and Seattle needs to take one of the games against Houston. Uh, just to increase, to give them an extra game buffer uh, between first and second place. Uh, of course, Seattle plays Texas in the final series of the season. I believe it's a three-game set in Seattle. Um, so they can you know work their way back there. But that would require... Uh, Seattle's only way in 
now is if they beat Houston in the next two games and Texas loses the next two games and then they sweep Texas. Uh, that that would have to be what would happen for Seattle to win the division. Uh, Seattle would have to win out, uh, and the Rangers would have to lose uh, out. And, uh, of course, Houston uh, would would be in the mix on that as well. They'd have to hope for Houston losing at least two games, I think, of the next five as well. After, Or, sorry, two of the games in the next series they would have to lose while they were playing Seattle. Uh, or while Seattle was playing Texas, my my fault. Uh, let's see. Atlanta, uh, of course, reached the 100-win mark, the first team to do that this season, and might be the only one. Uh, it's possible. There are not many games left. Let's see. Uh, I believe everybody's got five games left, and the Dodgers have 96 wins, so they could get there. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10. Um, and Baltimore has uh, 97 wins, Tampa Bay with 95. So some other teams could get there, but they'd pretty much have to win out. The uh, So it looks like Atlanta will might likely be the only team that reaches 100 wins this season. Uh, they're 156 right now, so they have uh, six games remaining, actually. So I guess some teams have five, some teams have six. Uh, Philadelphia down there uh, at 87 wins. In, uh, in second place there in the NL East and, and still contending uh, for a wild card spot. The Milwaukee Brewers have officially clinched a playoff berth as well. They have not clinched the division uh, as I believe the gap is six games between Milwaukee and Chicago. That would require Milwaukee to lose out and Chicago to win out. So I believe that uh, if the next time Milwaukee wins a game, that division is over. Milwaukee will officially clinch in the NL Central as well. And, of course, the Dodgers, as we discussed last week, had clinched in the NL West. Um, and Arizona fights for a wild card spot as they are in second place in the NL West. So let's take a look at those uh, wild card spots and playoff spots and all that stuff here now. Um, Tampa Bay, of course, in that top wild card spot, they will not lose that um, and in worst-case scenario. They'll either be the top wild card team or they'll win the division. Toronto is currently in the second spot in the wild card, and Houston is in the third spot for the wild card. So Houston is uh, has Seattle knocking on the door. If Seattle should finish off Houston, if they take the next two out of three against Houston, Houston would be on the outside looking in uh, as long as uh, Seattle took those two games because Toronto is at uh, 87 wins, and they're a game and a half up over that line and uh, they would need Houston would need Toronto to also be losing in order for them to stay uh, in the uh, in the wild card. So there is a very real possibility Houston does not make the playoffs. And I think I speak for everyone when I say we are rooting for that. Over in the NL, uh, after the big shakeup in the AL with the Rangers going on a winning streak, Seattle going on a losing streak. Uh, over in the NL, Philadelphia is in that top spot still. I believe they are very close to officially clinching a playoff spot as they are five games up of the cut line uh, with either five or six left to play. Uh, they are 87 and 69. They have won their last five games. So Philadelphia, when we were talking about this last week, 
was sitting at, I believe, 82 wins. So they were they were hovering. They were things were not 100 percent a guarantee at all with some of these other teams kind of hanging around that same win total. Uh, they I think they were the top wild card team still last week, but it was it was close. This time it is uh, it is not close. I believe if they their magic number may be one or two. It's a, another win or two, and they're they're officially clinched in. Might even just be one win or or an Arizona loss or something like that. Arizona and the Cubs are tied in the wild card now at eighty two and seventy four apiece. Both of them same record. Arizona six and four in their last ten. Chicago four and six in their last ten. However, they are on a three game winning streak. Arizona just played the Yankees, and I believe Arizona lost to the Yankees yesterday uh, to conclude that series. The Miami Marlins are sitting at 81 and 75, and Cincinnati is at 80 and 77. So they are still, both of those teams, still within striking distance, absolutely. Uh, All it takes is Arizona and Chicago dropping you know, a couple of games and Miami and Cincinnati winning a couple of games and they're right back in there. Miami would leapfrog. Uh, Let's, let's play that hypothetical here real quick. Say Arizona and Chicago both uh, lose the next two games they play and Miami and Cincinnati win the next two games they play. That would put Miami squarely in second place in the wild card. And that would put Arizona and Chicago still tied, but they would be tied with Cincinnati as well, it would be Arizona, Chicago, Cincinnati that would be tied for that third spot. And I guess at that point it comes down to their head-to-head records uh, against each other throughout the season. Uh, and then if that's uh, equal somehow, I guess it's the um, run scored or something like that. So uh, that that could get very interesting very quickly, as you can see, very easily. I mean, it's very easy to drop two games, very easy to um, uh, see yourself in that position. If you're a fan of one of those teams, we'll have to see how it shakes out. I really have no idea. You know, it's it's very very difficult to uh, to predict uh, as these uh, these teams move forward here at the very end of the season. You know, the next time we record an episode, the regular season will be completely over. Uh, when I record an episode next uh, next Tuesday or Wednesday, uh, the regular season will be over, and we'll we'll know exactly what's going on. But either way, uh, that's how that shakes out in uh, Major League Baseball with some shake-ups. Additionally, teams like uh, San Diego, I believe San Diego still technically has a path at 77 and 80, Uh, but it would take about a miracle. Uh, It would pretty much take them winning out and seeing some of these other teams lose out, and I just don't think that's going to happen. Hell of a lot to talk about with San Diego there. I think I talked about it in the last episode, if I remember right, when I was listing off kind of some uh, missed ex- expectations or disappointments, uh, like from the Mets or the Yankees, um, surprises like from the Rangers, Arizona. But uh, San Diego, of course, also a, a, just an incredible disappointment. It's so strange how you could how you could have such a well-constructed roster on paper uh, with some great starting pitching and uh, some absolutely you know, electric hitters, and uh, they just can't seem to win ball games. Uh, it's, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So uh, San Diego, you know, I'm, I'm, there could be a manager change. You never know. That oh, I'm sure there's going to be a shakeup there in the offseason somehow or some way. But uh, San Diego still technically not eliminated. San Francisco still not technically eliminated at 78-79. But again, same, same sort of dilemma as San Diego. 
Uh, they'd need a miracle at four and a half back at the moment. So that being said, um, we we do have uh, our guys, some of our people clinched in. We know Baltimore, Minnesota, Tampa Bay, Atlanta, L.A., Dodgers, uh, and Milwaukee will be in the playoffs. And, um, you know, we're just kind of waiting on how the rest of those spots shake out. Two spots in the AL to shake out and technically the whole NL wild card to shake out. So uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that um, how that turns out. And of course, when the regular season is over and we have all our playoff matchups, I'll uh, I'll do the playoff bracket. You know, we'll talk about what I think is going to happen, uh, which will probably be wildly incorrect. But hey, uh, you know, we always got to speculate. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, let's move on to the next uh, segment here, which is going to be about the NFL in week three. So the NFL in week three kicked off on Thursday, the 21st, of course. I believe that might have been when I recorded the last episode. Um, and uh, But of course, I recorded it before the game started. The Giants looked pathetic and lost to the 49ers 30-12. Uh, I, as a Giants fan, I, I really don't know. I don't know what to expect from this team. They have a really, really, really rough stretch right here. Uh, they're playing some good teams uh, down down the uh, the next several weeks. Uh, let me let me get that pull that up for you. the The New York Giants will be playing the Seahawks. Next week, you know, I think they can beat Seattle. If we're just being, if I'm being frank, I think they can beat Seattle. I, I think they could easily lose to Seattle. I mean, it's a, Seattle's kind of a wild cardish team as well. Like they, uh, you know, some weeks they look very solid. Other weeks they look a little shaky. So that's uh, that's the Monday night game or a Monday night game. I'm not sure if it's going to be a doubleheader again, but that's Monday night uh, on the 2nd of October. And uh, they will be playing, um, let's see. In New York, in New Jersey, against Seattle, that'll be a home game. So, you know, it'd be nice to bounce back and go to two and two at, in that one. Then they have to play Miami. That's a that's a tough one. Miami, obviously, put you know we'll talk more about them in a minute. But uh, the the incredible game they played against Washington this week, Miami looks real tough. Uh, then they play Buffalo, and Buffalo is kind of like um, the New York Giants on steroids. If that makes any sense. Uh, they can be, you know, they're they are very inconsistent as well. Obviously, we saw them lay an absolute egg against the Jets, but then play well against the Raiders and the Commanders. Uh, but I, you know, obviously Buffalo, they they they're kind of up and down too. I kind of live and die on Josh Allen uh, and the way that he plays and approaches the game. Obviously, Allen has a bit of a turnover issue. He always has. He has just gotten better at managing it in the last several years, but uh, it's reared its ugly head a little bit here this season to start. And um, they kind of live and die by uh, how he takes care of the football. And uh, so the Giants have to play them in Buffalo on uh, October 15th. I'm sure that's going to be chilly. Uh, but then they do get a little bit of a reprieve. They play the Commanders, the Jets, and then the Raiders, which I think the Giants are perfectly capable of winning all of those games. So the way that I see it, best case scenario by the time they line up against Dallas once again in Week 10 is to beat Seattle to go to 2-2. Two and two. If they drop to Miami and Buffalo you know, and fall to 2-4, and four, they can bounce back 
uh, to four and four after playing the Commanders and Jets, and hopefully five and four against Las Vegas. So you know, being hopefully being above five hundred by the time they roll into Dallas on November twelfth is kind of a best case scenario to me. Uh, I think I, I, best case scenario is they beat all the teams in front of them, but you know, uh, realistic best case scenario to me is that they're five and four by week ten. Uh, they will roll into Dallas after that. Then they play Washington and New England again. And so Dallas is, a t- it, they've just lost to Dallas the last 11 times. It has uh, upset me and angered me to no end. I could rant about that for days and days. Uh, that, you know, and Dallas talks so much crap about it too. But, you know, the, the truth is the Giants have been awful for most of those 11 games. Uh, just the team was awful, you know, three win seasons, four win seasons for most of those games. So, uh, but uh, Dallas uh, obviously sort of has their number and has had their number um, and, and been a formidable formidable opponent. So even if they drop that game and, and fall to five and five, sorry, I'm going on about the Giants here for a minute. Uh, even if they drop that game to fi- and go to five and five, uh, I think they're perfectly capable of beating Washington, New England, Green Bay, New Orleans. You know, following that, we could very easily be looking at an eight and five by the time they roll into the Eagles in Week 16. Uh, you know, they, they have, they still have a strong chance just looking at this schedule to be able to win 10 games. They play Philly in week 16 and week 18, which is rough, uh, but they play the Rams in between that, but they're perfectly capable of still being a 10 win team, I think. Uh, and whether that's good enough to get them in the playoffs, I don't know, but, uh, they, I, I know that they are capable of doing it and, uh, we'll just have to see how they respond and, you know what you hope for is to beat the teams that you should beat and steal a game or two from the the ones where you're not favored that you're not supposed to win so um you know we'll just have to see how that uh, how that plays out for them but uh, they do have a little bit of a tough stretch coming up here against some good teams anyway back to the uh, overall uh, you know recap of the week here that was me going on about my giants Let's see, uh, Colts and Ravens uh, played in the first window on Sunday. The Colts shocking the Ravens, beating them 22-19 after, I believe, a turnover in overtime? Uh, Either a turnover in overtime or it was a turnover on downs. Um, Let the Colts uh, just get pretty good field position and get them in to kick the game-winning field goal and beat the Ravens 22-19. A little bit of a shocker there. I, I think most people would have expected a, a better better showing from Baltimore. Let's see. The Titans fell to the Browns heartily. I think that's the best way to put it. 27-3, to Browns over the Titans. Uh, as uh, the, you know, Cleveland... Looked, uh, putting up those 27 points looked better than they had in previous weeks. So full disclosure here, I watched highlights for most of these games, but I did not see any of these games from start to finish uh, due to, well, I saw the, I saw the, the last three. I saw Sunday night football and uh, the two on Monday to a degree, uh, because full disclosure, I was at the NASCAR race all day on Sunday, which we'll talk about later, but I was there all day, so I did not get to watch uh, the NFL the way that I usually do, whether it's through Red Zone or sitting down and checking out what games are in my local market all day. 
So uh, I'm I'm going by box scores and I'm going by highlights that I saw and I did watch uh, a good a fair amount of highlights. So you know uh, I did I did see quite a bit, but just not maybe as much as I would have if I watched the games entirely. So uh, Lions over the Falcons twenty to six. Uh, the Lions improved to two and one. Falcons uh, go fall to two and one as they were an undefeated team. I believe there's only three undefeated teams left. I think it's the Eagles, Niners, and Dolphins. I think that's it. Those are the only undefeateds left at 3-0. But uh, the Saints fell to the Packers and also Derek Carr with a shoulder injury, I believe. Uh, so that's going to be like a week-to-week. Uh, you know, He's day-to-day throughout the, throughout the week, but he's going to be a week-to-week dealing with that injury. Uh, I guess the Saints will move forward with Jameis Winston. Um, if uh, if he can't, if Derek Carr can't go, but the Packers pull out a victory to move to two and one as well, eighteen to seventeen. The Texans beat the Jaguars thirty-seven to seventeen, and I've I've got to sort of sound the alarm with the Jaguars. I think everybody expected them to come out better after they had uh, such a great second half last year and just looked like a totally different football team. Lawrence making big strides. But uh, we've almost got to wonder, do the Jaguars stink? Or do they have some more you know, midseason magic in them here uh, to kind of turn it around? Because uh, you know, losing to the Texans 37-17, that's tough. I mean, the Texans were 0-2 coming into that game, and the Jaguars just 1-1, as they just have not looked like the same Jaguars uh, they they got controlled by the Chiefs the previous week there. They, they just never looked like a threat. Uh, whereas in the AFC Divisional round last year, they did look, you know, solid. They went toe-to-toe with Kansas City for a while. Kansas City pulled it out, went on to win the Super Bowl. But uh, the Jaguars uh, just not looking like the same team this year. And, of course, probably the biggest story of the weekend, besides uh, Taylor Swift, the Dolphins defeated the Broncos 70 to 20. I believe that 70 points had not been scored in an NFL game since 1966. If uh, if that fact was correct, if that stat that I read was correct, uh, that had not happened since 1966. The Broncos uh, fall to 0 and 3, the Dolphins improved to 3 and 0. And I got to say I'm surprised about the Broncos. I really don't know what's wrong there. I've watched uh, bits and pieces of the of the first 3 games with them. Uh, obviously they kind of choked one away against Washington. Uh but they they have talent at the head coaching position. You know, Sean Payton is not Nathaniel Hackett. Nathaniel Hackett was a total bozo. Uh and the <laughs> Yeah, I mean they've you know they've, they've Sean Payton takes over. Uh they got Russell Wilson and it's just so strange. I just refuse to believe that Russell Wilson just stinks now. You know, the guy uh you know it, it's fair to say that he may have been that some of his uh prowess may have been uh the Pete Carroll system and the and the defenses they put up there. But uh you know those last 5 years as I recall in Seattle, defense really wasn't that good. And he was a perennial MVP candidate. He's putting up monster yardage days and big touchdowns and one of the best deep ball passers in the league. And he just looks like a guy who is playing without any confidence right now. That That's what it looks like to me. I, I just I know that he is not washed like this. There's no way. He, he just looks like he's playing with no confidence. Um... Uh, you know, I, I could very easily see the Broncos 
you know, kind of turning it around and salvaging the season here a bit. Uh, but they are just digging themselves into a deeper and deeper hole, and that's allowing seventy points is just unbelievable. That's that's embarrassing. Um, it's it's not uh, not ideal. But uh, you know, Sean Payton is going to have to figure it out pretty quickly on the fly here, and it, it's just strange because it seems like that team has talent. You know, they they've got solid players on offense. Uh, besides Russell Wilson, I mean, they've got Jerry Judy, uh, who's a good receiver. They've got Cortland Sutton, who's a good receiver. Um, the name of the tight end is slipping me right now, but I know he's been solid in the past. Um, they they just they have solid, you know, playmakers uh, on that team, and they just seem to struggle on offense at times. It it seems like they just can't move the ball and and they can't figure it out. So. Uh, very strange indeed there. Uh, I know they also have some solid players on defense too, so giving up 70 points is, is kind of unbelievable. Uh, so, you know, the the Dolphins, the Dolphins, you know, they, they look pretty ridiculous right now. They've, they've put up some serious points here. Uh, I had Mostert on my fantasy team uh, in one of my leagues this week, and uh, goodness, I think he put up 46 points for Mostert, so thank God I started him this week. Uh, but uh, the Dolphins have looked pretty ridiculous at times here. They, that combo of Hill and Waddle uh, to go along with Mostert being one of the better backs in the league so far this season is 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 crazy, and and two has kind of limited the mistakes. But uh, you know, it's it really is hard to rate them though, because I mean, we were sitting in the same seat last year, were we not? Uh, I believe the Dolphins started off six and zero, and then proceeded to drop what five straight games or something. Uh, they just did not look nearly as good in the back half of the season. And it really had nothing to do with anything. It wasn't like anybody was hurt. They just started to suck. So, you know, it's it's one of those things of like, do are teams going to adjust, you know, midway through the season to whatever Miami's running and working at the moment? Um, I'm still not I, I truly, and I, I swear I'm, I'm not being a hater here or anything at all, but I'm still just not sold on Tua. I'm just not um, because he has games uh, like those 70 points right here are not all Tua, by the way. It was um, let's take let's take a look here so that I'm not uh, guessing entirely. But I know he only threw for around only threw for around 300 yards. Uh, let me take a look here. So Tua was 23 for 26 with 309 yards and four touchdowns, no interceptions. I mean, that's a fantastic stat line uh, when you only have three incompletions on the day, no interceptions, 300 yards, four touchdowns. Mike White came in and threw uh, two passes for 67 yards and a touchdown as well to uh, to add on to that. But uh, Devon uh, Arcane... Akane, sorry, I I was trying to get that right because he corrected the Dolphins on how to pronounce his name. Uh, He had 203 yards on the ground and two touchdowns. Uh, His average carry was for 11.28 yards. Raheem Mostert had 13 carries for 82 yards and three touchdowns. So Lord knows what uh, Devon had in fantasy. Uh, Christopher Brooks carried the ball nine times for 66 years. So, you know, they brought in a third string back and he carried nine times for 66 yards. I mean, they basically, they just ran all over the Broncos. So I guess what I was saying about Tua is that, um, you know, it, this was not all Tua. The, the, the running game was just insane. They scored five touchdowns on the ground. 
and um, five through the air, but four of them being Tua's. Uh, and Tyreek had a touchdown through the air. Robbie Chosen had a touchdown. It was 68 yards, one reception, uh, 68 yards. Raheem Mostert caught one through the air, too, and had 60 yards through the air. Uh, so, you know, they... Uh, I, I guess what I'm saying about Tua is that uh, he has a game like that where, I mean, obviously he he kind of settled in and just had it on easy street with the running game and the defense and... Uh, the field position and everything, but he has a game like that, and then he has a game like he had against New England last week. It just really wasn't that great. It was not exceptional in any regard. It was a very run-of-the-mill average game. Uh, had at least one interception in there last week. I think 240 yards, something like that. Uh, did not blow the doors off of New England by any stretch. Um, you know, so I, I'm just not sold on Tua. He has too much of this up and down. And he sure seems to look a lot better. The the last, what, he's been in the NFL now. This is his fourth season, I think. Uh, he sure seems to have a lot of, like, uh, up and down and a lot of success early in the season. And then it just kind of comes slamming to a halt uh, later in the year. So I'm just not sold on him. I'm not sold on him being in the elite. Let's put it that way. Um, he, he is a decent quarterback. Uh, but I'm just not sold on him being in the elite because he just seems to be very inconsistent. Uh, there, there are weeks like this, and there, and you know, he or or week one where he put up 466 yards through the air. There's weeks like that, and then there's sort of there's dud weeks, and uh, that just seems to happen all too often. You, you still just don't know which player is going to show up, which Tua is going to show up. Is is the one that makes poor choices and throws interceptions, and the accuracy is lacking going to show up? Uh, or is or is the uh, methodical, precise uh, two are going to show up? So I'm just not totally sold on them, but a hell of a game there. The Chargers topped the Vikings this week, and the Vikings fall to 0-3. As the Chargers beat them 28-24, Chargers get their first win of the year. And it, 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 this is just crazy how NFL football is, right? And, and that football is a team sport. Uh, you know, people might be sitting there saying, ah, Vikings are 0-3, Kirk Cousins sucks. Well, uh, you know, I've been a vocal critic of Cousins in the past when I feel like he deserves it, but uh, honestly, Cousins has been excellent this year. Uh, you can look up the stats to back this up, but he's top three in, like, all quarterback stats, at least that I, that uh, all the ones that matter um, this year, top three or top five at the worst in uh, in all these stats. He's playing great. Uh, their defense has let them down. Their coaching has let them down. Uh, they This is a world where they can easily be, I believe, each game that Minnesota has lost, I think has been close. We'll take a, we'll take a look just to be sure at last week's because I know week one was close. Let's take a quick look here just to see. Uh, Minnesota Vikings, yes. So, yeah, they lost last week. They lost last week to Philly 34-28. That the final score is shows it being a little closer. It wasn't quite that close. But they didn't play horrible against Philly. The defense, they just defense didn't have any answers uh, for Philadelphia, and they didn't play horribly. Uh, they were always within striking distance, within a rally of of being back in that game. 
and uh, just couldn't pull it out. And then they lose to the Chargers uh, 28-24. But on the flip side of that, the Chargers are 1-2, and two, and the Chargers could easily be 3-0 and oh right now. Uh, the Chargers have lost uh, each of the two games that they have lost by a field goal at the end of the game. Uh, so they could they could pretty easily uh, be three and zero as well, um, or you know that they're they're basically that their script could be flipped too, put it that way. Minnesota looks like they have uh, some tough sledding coming up over the next month. Uh, they play Carolina. That's a game that they should win, uh, but then they have to play Kansas City. Uh, they they will be at home for that game, but Kansas City is never a joke. We know that. They play Chicago, who looks completely awful. We'll talk more about that in a minute as well. And uh, but then they play San Francisco. So you know they they their kind of best case scenario really, uh, or what they can what they're shooting for is to go two and two over the next month, and and be two and five heading into November. Uh, where they do get a bit of a reprieve, though. So, you know, just watch out for those Vikings to to actually sort of balance things out a little bit here and uh, maybe, you know, maybe end up 500 by December because uh, they do have that tough month. Let's say they go 2-2 two and two over the month of October. Uh, well, technically, they play Green Bay at the end of October, too, uh, the 29th. But 2-2 um, two and two over the next four. They'll play Green Bay, Atlanta, New Orleans, Denver, Chicago. I mean, realistically, those are five games they can win starting at the end of October and and, and ending up at the end of uh, November. Then they would have a bye week, week 13. Those are five games they can win. So even if they split the next four, and uh, but they go 5-0 and oh, uh, after that, which, of course, it's the NFL. There's no guarantee that'll happen. They could drop one to Green Bay or New Orleans or Denver. But... Um, you know, just assuming that they play to where they can play, play to the mean, if you will, uh, they they could easily win those five games. They could easily win those five games, and uh, you know, boom! All of a sudden, they're uh, seven and five after an zero and three start to the year, and you know, you'll take that after twelve weeks. Uh, then they play the Raiders, Bengals, Lions. Packers Lions to finish out the season. Sorry about the kind of going on like I did about the Giants with them, but I'm just sort of proving a point here, you know, the way football can be. Uh, you know, I believe that Minnesota can beat the Raiders. I believe that Minnesota uh with the way the Bengals currently look, they should be able to to compete with the Bengals. Uh I think the Lions is a game that could be tough sledding. Those could, you know, they could split those Packers. Uh they could beat the Packers again. You know, either way, uh, what I'm looking at is that uh, there's still absolutely a path to 10 wins uh, for the Vikings as well. There's a, there's an e- there's a maybe not an easy path, but there's a path to 10 wins and uh, sniffing a playoff spot even after an 0-3 start the way that they've had. It's not ideal, but uh, they do have some they do have a nice big soft spot coming in the schedule if they can just weather the next month and uh, you know just win the games if they can win the games that they should win. You know they can they can finish this this season with ten or eleven wins, uh, but uh, we'll see how that goes for them. Back to the overall standings though. The Chargers uh, going to uh, to one and two, and I, I I think Herbert is such a stud, and I think that that coach is a moron. They've lost Mike Williams to a torn ACL, I believe, but um, 
you know, I, I, I really hope the Chargers, I don't know why I just, I, I, that I, that I'm rooting for them the way that I do over there, but I, I just think that Herbert is a stud and, and that he's so fun to watch. So it, it's, you know, good for football when he's good and, uh, that, or when the, when the Chargers are good and that, uh, some more fans, you know, should be brought aware of, of, uh, how talented that that kid is. Um, the Patriots and Jets, boy, what a snoozer that game was. Good God. I saw stories about how the tickets for that game were dirt cheap. Uh, nobody was interested in watching Mac Jones versus Zach Wilson. Uh, I'm sure the ratings on television for that were completely horrible as well. Uh, the Patriots defeated the Jets 15-10. to Weird score. Ugly, ugly game. Um, Mac Jones is... Mac Jones is just not the guy. Uh, it, it's weird because you get some flashes, some games where he plays solid. But Mac, Mac Jones is a game manager. That is his ceiling. That is it. The, he will never be uh, the reason. Let me put it this way. I, I'll, this is my justification or what I think about Dak Prescott, too. And I, I, when we get to the Cowboys game, I'll talk about this. But Dak is hardly ever going to be the reason that you win a game but he will often be the reason that you lose a game that's the best way for me to sum up who that man is as a quarterback and that is that's basically goes for all game managers so mac jones is hardly ever going to be the reason you win a game but he will often be the reason that you lose a game. I mean, not all the time. Maybe your defense will crap the bed or something, you know, sometimes. But, you know, when you when you lose a game, if you, you know, if you take a look at uh, Patriots losses, you know, say they lose eight games in a season, you can look at uh, at least half of them and you're going to see that Mac Jones played horrendous, you know, or, or any of these other game managers, Garoppolo. Whatever Garoppolo is the same category of player. Tannehill, all these guys are the same category of player. Those game managers, hardly ever going to be the reason that you win, but they'll often be the reason that you lose. Speaking of game managers, we have the Commanders falling to the Bills uh, as Sam Howell. I just I don't know much about Sam Howell. I, I have seen him make some nice plays, but then I've seen him make some horrible plays. Uh, I guess this is his first season starting full time for the for Washington. I, I think he was in the league last year, but was the backup. I, I'm not sure um, exactly his history, but I, th- I think that's it. Uh, the Bills blew out the Commanders, 37 to three. Allen looked pretty good. I think he had an interception, but uh, you know, overall, didn't do uh, didn't do too much to hurt Buffalo in that game against uh, Washington because they they blew the doors off of them pretty easily. That was in Washington, I believe, as well. Uh, The Seahawks bested the Panthers 37-27. Seahawks got back on track after, I believe, losing last week. They get back on track and defeat the Panthers. Panthers fall to 0-3. Dark times in Carolina. That's that's about all I can say there. It's not not a whole lot to be excited for, if I'm being honest, if you're a Panthers fan. Uh, you know, they've, they've got Bryce young, but, uh, I believe he was out this week with, uh, with an injury and, um, I'm just not sold. It's, it's the sample size is too small. I'm not sold on how good or, or bad that he is yet. 
we'll uh, we'll we'll be able to probably give a more accurate reading on that later in the season after he's had some more reps. But uh, I guess that's what you can be excited about. You can hope that Bryce Young is going to be good. Uh, Cowboys and Cardinals. This is uh, I'll I'll keep this one relatively short, despite my Cowboy hater status. Uh, the Cardinals beat the Cowboys. Who expected that? Who saw that coming? I groaned when uh, Rodgers went down in Week One because I went, "Oh God, they're gonna they're gonna beat the Jets next week." Because Zach Wilson is trash, which is a real and true statement. Zach Wilson. Back to the Jets real quick. When we when I was talking about uh, talking about them and the Patriots, Zach Wilson is bad at football. That 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 guy can't play. He's seeing ghosts. Uh, it, it, it zero confidence in his ability uh, or anything at all. He is bad. He strikes me as somebody who it's possible if you move him into some other scenario, you know, some other situation, some other team, less pressure, not in New York, uh, and uh, and everything. The right coach. It's possible you could turn him into a decent game manager a Garoppolo type player, a, a, uh, you know, but he just doesn't, he, he's bad and he does not need to be on an NFL football field right now as a starting quarterback for a team. Uh, just straight up. There's no other way to put that. Uh, and they signed Trevor Simeon today. The jets did. So I have no idea if he's going to start over, over Wilson, but, uh, uh, Wilson, they just, somebody else needs to be out there. It's just plain and simple. Uh, so back to the Cowboys Cardinals. I groaned. I was like, "Oh God, Rodgers is down. The Cowboys are going to win that game. Then they're going to play the Cardinals, and they're going to win that game. They're going to be three and zero headed into New England, or headed New England headed to them, where they will likely beat New England because they're not good either. Like New England is a is a joke, total shell of themselves." So I thought, good God, they're probably going to be 4-0 and by the time they roll into San Francisco. We're going to have to be hearing about how good they are, how amazing, how perfect they are. And that's not what happened this week. Cardinals beat the Cowboys 28-16 pretty convincingly. I mean, the Cowboys had a couple of shots where they were still – it was kind of like the Philly-Minnesota uh, game last week where they always had a chance to get back in it, right? that makes any sense they 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 were always within striking distance to put together a couple of good drives and, and get back in that game but that the cardinals seemed to control it uh regardless throughout the game so they fall 28 16 uh, a lot of discussion there uh, about you know what went wrong for dallas and if you will remember listeners what did i say after the jets game last week what did i say I, I love being right. Sorry, I'm taking a little victory lap here. What did I say? I said that they had a lot of opportunities against the Jets in the red zone and didn't cash. They got three points, turnovers on downs against the Jets. When they got down inside the 20 and specifically around that 10 to 15 yard line, you know, where they're pretty solidly in the red zone. They struggled against the Jets. I said it last week. Go play the tape back. Play it back. Go back to last week's episode. Find me talking about the NFL. Find me talking about the Cowboys. I said it. I said that I was interested because everybody talked about Mike McCarthy calling the plays. Mike McCarthy, it's going to change the offense. Yeah, it changed it. It made it worse. 
because uh, I, I noticed it last week against the Jets and that nobody was talking about it because all they were talking about was, yeah, we went out there and put up 30 on the Jets, 30 to 10. We beat them. Got them. We them boys. And I said last on last week's episode, if you're a Cowboys fan, there's a cause for concern. The most concerning thing that I saw was that they were terrible in the red zone. I mean, terrible. It was like they had nothing. It was like the playbook had three plays, and that was it. If those plays didn't work, uh, they were stuffed. They didn't go anywhere. They didn't move an inch. So we go into uh, the the Cardinals game this week, and um, again, I watched the highlights on this one. Wasn't able to watch the full game since I was at the NASCAR race. But the Cowboys took five trips to the red zone, and they scored six points. That's it. They took five trips to the red zone and scored six points. One touchdown. That was it. And, well, I suppose it was seven since they got the, uh, it was 16. They only scored one touchdown. So they uh, they scored six points or, or one touchdown in the, red, in, in the red zone in five trips. They went for it on fourth down. Uh, at least once or twice, uh, and didn't get it. They uh, they settled, but they settled for they settled for three on the other trips. They scored a touchdown, and Dak, of course, threw the interception. We'll talk about in a second here too in the end zone. Uh, late in the game. So I said it last week when watching the Jets that it was they might have scored thirty points, but that they could have scored forty eight. They could have blown them out 48-10 easily. But the red zone uh, offense looked bad against the Jets, and it looked bad against the Cardinals. So uh, that is a major cause of concern for Dallas. And then Mike McCarthy said, we'll work on it, blah, blah, blah. Mike McCarthy had some really pathetic excuses, by the way, uh, in the in the postgame presser. It's like, well, you know, it's difficult to get the young offensive linemen acclimated to things because we were missing three of our O-linemen. You know, there there's probably more teams than I can count on my both my hands that are missing key players uh, to injury. I believe the Texans were missing four of their starting offensive linemen, four of them, and they won. They put up 37 points and beat the Jaguars, a much better team than the Cardinals. <laughs> you know, so, you know, basically I don't want to hear it. Uh, he, he said, oh, well, you know, it was, we, we had some injuries. And it's like, yeah, everybody has injuries. It's football. Um, and uh, so he had some pretty pathetic excuses there for that. Uh, his play calling was awful, and they went out there and they dropped, they put a dud on the field, 28-16. Now, they could easily go out there this week against New England and, uh, you know, kind of right the ship and uh, win that game 35-14 to 14 or something, which is, is likely, you know, with how bad New England is, how bad Mac Jones is. But, um, you know, the Cowboys uh, definitely – you know, definitely showing some some signs of some weaknesses after that game in particular that other people didn't see, that I saw, that other people didn't see, uh, because they, you know, oh, 40 to nothing, 30 to 10, oh my God, you know, and they, they just, they didn't see the weaknesses that are that are there. There are some weaknesses, the team's not perfect. So, uh, you know, he, 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 I'm going to be happy all week that the Cardinals beat the Cowboys like that, and they, they didn't do anything. Dak, uh, Dak, of course, the, a big story there. Dak did not play well. Played very mediocre, uh, as was observed by a lot of 
fans of the NFL and fans of the Cowboys in general. The Cowboys offense, uh, that's another thing that people woke up to yesterday against the Cardinals. I said it. I believe you can run the tape last week against the Jets. Um, that uh, that I said the same thing, that uh, Dak last week against the Jets uh, and this week against the Cardinals, their offense is Mike McCarthy is terrified of letting that man make his own decisions and 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 running plays that require him to make multiple reads and letting the ball go deep. He's terrified of letting him do that. Why? Because he knows he's not that good at it. Um the you know and blah 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 some cowboy fans will pull up and go look at his deep ball stats and blah blah blah. Yeah, okay, deep balls on play action where the guy is wide freaking open uh with nobody around him that you know passes that my grandmother could make. Um both of them are no longer with us too. So, you know, that makes it worse. Um they could, uh, you know, oh, they could, they could, uh, oh, look at these deep ball stats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Play action wide open. We got it. Okay. Uh, but you know, on those, on those window throws, that stuff where it's, you know, you got to thread the needle between two defenders guys awful. And, um, they, so people woke up this week after losing to the Cardinals and watching this offense be anemic. They, watched how Dallas could kind of get down the field because they'd run those out routes to the tight end, check down to the to the running back, screen pass to the running back, uh slants, quick, you know, quick get the ball out quick on a three yard slant where the guy runs it an extra few yards or more, et cetera, et cetera. You get my drift. Designing plays to where Dak does not have to be talented to make those plays. Designing a lot of hook routes, out routes, screen passes, slants, all the stuff that's designed to get the ball out quickly and get it to somebody who is wide open for a couple of yards. You know, it's the it's the old uh, uh, dink and dack, all right, uh, as as what which people ignored Kellen Moore for several years had them doing the dink and dack until the last couple of years, the last couple of years. They try, They went, okay, we paid you, Dak. We paid you this big money. Paid you this big money, dude. Uh, so since we paid you big money, we're going to need you to throw like Aaron Rodgers and Pat Mahomes and, uh, you know, good quarterbacks. And they tried, and he sucked at it. <laughs> so they have reverted back to the Dink and Dak, uh, which is the formula that should be better for them to win games, to control the turnovers and everything. I about guarantee how it's going to go this year for Dak, too, uh, with interceptions. He's he's going to only throw maybe seven, eight interceptions, something like that. It's going to be like a reasonably low number this year. That's that's my guess. I, I said it coming into this season, too. And Cowboy fans and people will go, well, he's look at that. He's He got so much better. Look at how much he improved Without, while ignoring the context of the passes. there When you throw hook routes, out routes, slants, screen passes, you're not going to get picked off. Nobody would. Nobody would ever get picked off at a high rate on those type of passes. Where he gets picked off are uh, on those passes over the middle. These, you know, looking for receivers over the middle for big gains, those those passes that he's looking to pick up 15, 20 yards, deep shots that he misses, underthrows, overthrows. Those are where he makes the mistakes, or in the red zone, which brings us back to 
uh, that costly interception he threw. Thing about Dak too is that Cowboy fans they bring up, well, look, he's he's been efficient with the ball. He doesn't turn the ball over. Well, again, Dink and Dak. Okay, then you know, look at last year when they tried to expand the playbook, right? So he's not that guy. So the thing about him, though, always is that he always throws interceptions at horrible times. When the lights are bright, he has a really bad tendency to make really bad choices. And we saw that on full display uh, on the final drive that Dallas had. Three minutes to go from the six-yard line. And he, he t- I tried to look the linebacker off, whatever. You look at that replay, I've looked at it from the broadcast angle. I've looked at it from the, like, behind the quarterback angle. He barely looks off. He talks about, like, that he tried to look him off. He maybe glanced to his left, but was pretty much staring at uh, Cooks the entire time. And uh, the linebacker, uh, you know, read him like a book. And and you look at it all. There's just no angle that makes that play look good. There's no angle that makes that decision look good by him whatsoever. Um, you look you look at all the angles, and it's just a bad throw. No matter how you slice it, it's a bad throw. And um, he the the look from behind is just really terrible because best case scenario is that there's two defenders in the in the in the area but realistically by the time the ball got to the spot it was supposed to get to there would have been three red jerseys and one small i might add brandon cooks is not a big man brandon cooks is what 510 maybe 6 feet at most 6 feet in cleats maybe there is a small man uh, among a, a linebacker, a safety, and a corner from Arizona by the time the ball gets to the spot where it was going to get. There was just, there, that was a 0% pass. That was never going to be complete. That pass is not complete if the linebacker is not even there, that that ball doesn't get through. So it, you just look at it and go, what were you looking at? What did you see that made you think, yep, this is it? So anyway... Dallas Falls, that's that's my uh, ranting about Dallas as a hater uh, for extra time than I would about other teams. But, uh, you know, what, what was he looking at? What was he thinking? Dallas Falls to uh, to the Cardinals, and they go back home to play uh, New England uh, this week where, again, I, I think they'll probably win. I, I don't think it'll be close. So, uh, But they will have a test against uh, San Francisco in week five, you know, barring that, uh, uh, you know, nothing catastrophic happens there. So. Anyway, we move on to the Chiefs and Bears. Uh, Chiefs defeating the Bears 41-10. The Bears are awful. So I'm going to small rant as well about the Bears. Bears are awful. Justin Fields is trash. I I do not care what any talking heads on TV say. Terry Bradshaw is saying, like, you know, maybe he needs some better coaching, blah, blah, blah. Justin Fields is awful. That kid stinks. There is no other way around it. Awful, trash, garbanzo. He is worse than Zach Wilson, and that is saying something. He is bad. Bad, bad, bad. I mean, so let me break it down for you real quick here. Key points about Fields. Terrible passer. Inaccurate. Uh, Arm strength isn't there. Inaccurate uh, passer. And so that, I mean, that's strike number one. Arm strength's not great. Ball accuracy's not there. Strike two horrendous at reading the field horrendous 
at reading a defense. Pre-snap and post-snap. Horrendous. Just misses people consistently that are wide open, and he doesn't even see them. He never sees them. He never even looks their way. Horrendous at figuring out a defense. If you're an NFL quarterback, you've got to at least have an idea when you're pre-snap at what you're looking at and taking a guess at the very least at being able to to have a solid, educated guess like, okay, I think this is going to be man-to-man. I think this is going to be cover two. This is going to be cover three. Um, okay, I think this is going to... Uh, I think this might be a blitz, right? Uh, this might be I th- this might be a zone blitz. They they're bringing five this time. They're bringing six. You know, having educated guesses. You know, based on on what you're looking at and where the the defenders are lining up and and the team's tendencies, all the film room, all that stuff. This guy has no idea what he's looking at. It's like if you just grabbed a fan out of the stands and put him back there and said, "All right, buddy, here you go." Like the the fan would have the same hell. The fan if the fan plays enough Madden, uh, they, he might he might know more than Justin Fields. Uh, Fields cannot read a defense pre snap or post snap. Misses people wide open. He's awful. Third huge strike against him is how long he holds the ball, which is a byproduct of strike number two about not being able to read the field. He holds the ball forever. He's looking, he's looking, but what is he looking at? Because of all the things that he misses all the time. He holds the ball, he's terrified, he doesn't know whether to run or not, and he takes sacks at a horrendous, awful rate. His sack percentage is atrocious. Uh, I believe it was the worst in the league last year, If, if and if it wasn't the worst, it was bottom five for sure. Uh, and it's certainly the same this year. Absolutely disgusting pocket awareness and holds the ball far too long, decision-making is poor, uh, and he is clearly completely shook, rattled, um, and uh, zero confidence out there anyway, but I don't think that there's anything you can... His career is unsalvageable. There is no chance that he ever turns into a good football player. Uh, and if, if that's a freezing cold take, you know, go ahead and tag me in three years after after he somehow miraculously turns it around because in three years that guy will be bagging groceries i mean he is or accepting some uh fake position at ohio state to get a paycheck uh because he is awful and for how hyped i mean this is year three and we have seen zero improvements from him zero i mean it's a barn burner day when this guy throws for 150 yards so what did he throw against the chiefs you might ask um in a 41-10 game where they're getting blown out, you got to throw the ball a lot, right? You're not going to run the ball in a game you're getting blown out. I think 24 nothing at one point. Uh, I think it got up to 34 nothing at one point before they finally scored some points. Uh, Patrick Mahomes uh, was taken out uh, late in the third quarter, didn't even play the fourth and uh, part of the third and put up those points. So, uh, you know, how many passing yards did uh, did a guy have in a blowout loss? Because you know, a lot of times you'll you'll still uh, the team getting blown out can still put up uh, the quarterback can put up a lot of yards against prevent defense and because they throw the ball fifty times. Now Justin Fields threw it twenty two times for eleven completions for ninety nine yards. You heard me right. An NFL quarterback played all four quarters of a game that they were being every minute that they were being blown out in where they had to pass the ball a ton and he completed 11 passes for 99 yards. He 
stinks. Do not let the NFL Twitter account or the NFL on Fox or CBS or whoever, NBC, don't let them tweeting out a highlight of him go taking off for a 35-yard run every now and then fool you. Trash. Bad. Awful at quarterback. Awful. So the Bears are absolutely going to have to look in another direction for quarterback. And seriously, they may as well just tank this season. Go ahead. Tank it. Go for Caleb Williams, whatever. Uh, they they are uh, a nightmare with uh, with Justin Fields at quarterback. He is terrible. He is, he is very, very bad at football. I'm sorry. I've said it like 500 times in the last five minutes, but he is awful. Not good. Atrocious. And uh, one of the worst quarterbacks that I have ever seen. I'm not I'm not exaggerating. I've been fo- watching football for a long time. And as far as like guys that were hyped up, you know, coming out of college sort of thing, just the worst. I think the worst I've ever seen for a guy that was hyped up the way that he was. And then even if I took out hyped up stuff, I mean, he, he is just awful. Uh, I mean, he is he is even if you take hyped up out of the equation, uh, he is bad. So don't let anybody fool you. That dude is bad. Uh, the Chiefs, of course, routed them. No problem. Mahomes was excellent in the 2.6 quarters that he played, uh, leading them to all those points. Uh, Mahomes was excellent, uh, his usual self. Um, of course, big story. We would be remiss if we didn't mention it of course taylor swift which again i it's so strange about her i like she's been popular for what about 15 years now i think she's 34 years old something like that and she's been popular since she was very young she was 19 or 20 or whatever that was uh the whole uh kanye west thing and everything at whatever that was vmas i don't remember what what uh award show that was but um but uh She's been popular for a long time, and like I knew she was popular. I knew people bought her CDs and listened to her music when it came out and went to see her in shows and stuff. She was a popular pop star, but I had no idea that the fandom had reached this level that we have seen where just everybody is talking about everything she's doing all the time. You know, there's there's people spending thousands of dollars per ticket to go see her in concert in nosebleed seats. There's people crying in the crowd as she plays a song. You know, and, uh, you know, hey, hats off to her. I've heard that her shows, like, she does, like, three hours or three and a half hours and plays 35 songs and all this stuff or whatever. Like, it, you know, that's cool uh, that, that she's out there doing that and delivering a, a heck of a, a show, I guess. But uh, I just had no idea she's on this level of people paying thousands of dollars a ticket to sit in the nosebleeds and that people just, just losing their minds over every little thing that she does. It's It's like... Uh, it's strange. I had no idea that that she had, you know, ascended to this level. Uh, I I did just, I just simply don't remember her ever being this popular. So it's strange. Anyway, she was at the Chiefs game in the suite, uh, with Travis Kelsey's mother and and other people up there and everything too, because her and Kelsey are supposedly dating, and who knows if it's all for you know, PR and branding and all that sort of stuff. It very well might be just getting exposure and, and, you know, being in the headlines and all this stuff. It's possible. Uh, I wouldn't put anything, but her, her PR team is insane. I guess that explains her popularity. Her PR team is incredible because, uh, 
you know, I, so I wouldn't be surprised at all if this is all just a stunt. Um, it's definitely happened for hell. Celebrities have gotten married for brand purposes, right? Uh, and for PR. So, uh, I, I would not be surprised about that at all. Uh, and then supposedly Kelsey rented out the swanky, uh, rooftop restaurant and bar, uh, in, in downtown Kansas city, uh, after the game and, uh, bought the whole place out. They shut down to the public and, uh, he and Swift and all the other chiefs players and wives and girlfriends and all that stuff were there, uh, partying until about two o'clock in the morning was what I read. Um, so, you know, uh, the, that's going to continue to churn. So if you're sick of it already, well, good luck. Cause as long as they're linked together, you're going to continue to see it every week as far as the NFL goes. Uh, but yeah, chiefs blow out the bears. Uh, Justin Fields is completely awful. That's uh, that's about the end of that. Uh, sorry that you had to hear about how bad he is. Uh, 45 times probably, but uh, I just wanted to leave no doubt to the listeners out there. If, if you had any sort of uh, inkling that he might still be good, he did that dude's bad uh, Raiders Steelers. I did watch this game after I got back from the race and was hanging out, was hung out with the family. I was exhausted. I'll get to that in, in just a couple of minutes. We're almost done with our NFL recap here, but uh, I was flat exhausted, just laid down on the couch with a Gatorade and, and uh, watched that one. And, um, Steelers were pretty much in control the whole time. The Raiders stink. Josh McDaniels is a moron. More on that in just a moment. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo sucks, but we already knew that. Um, Kenny Pickett kind of sucks, but we already knew that too. Um, thing about the Steelers is is true is truthfully like there are some solid players on offense there. Like I think George Pickens is a nice receiver. I think he's a good player. I think Pat Fearmuth is a good player. I, I think. Um, I think Najee Harris is kind of mid. Uh, I don't think he's that great, but uh, he's serviceable. He's not explosive, though. Uh, they've, they've got some solid players over there in Pittsburgh, but uh, Pickett, after playing like pretty solid the back end of the season last year, has been pretty awful this year so far. But uh, he played a decent game uh, in this one. He, he did enough for them to win. Uh, 23-18 was the final there. That score really wasn't indicative. Uh, the, the Steelers were really in control most of the game. However, they almost, they, oh boy. So, okay, so giving you the timeline here. Basically, the Raiders were down 16 points to the Steelers. Uh, so that would put them as the score was 23-7. Yes, 23-7. It was 23-7, fourth quarter. Steelers pretty much in command. Well, the Raiders get a little drive going. They get down, I don't know, I think it was around 25-yard line, somewhere in there. They get a little drive going like they might be able to score and maybe bring this uh, bring this to a one-score game uh, and, um, you know, be able to have a, have a shot at it after getting a stop. And... Uh, Minka Fitzpatrick is called for roughing the passer, I believe, on third down after Garoppolo threw a pass that was incomplete. It is a bang-bang play. If you watched any of the highlights this weekend or watched that game, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But it's a bang-bang play where he didn't hit him late at all. That wasn't the reason that it was called. Didn't hit him late. He did not hit him low. 
like in the knees or in the lower leg. Okay, didn't do that. So what did he do? Well, he unnecessary roughness for um or roughing the passer, sorry, for basically he didn't lead with his head either. Let's make note of that. Didn't lead with his head or anything like that. You're not supposed to, you're not allowed to lead with the crown of the helmet. Okay. Didn't do that. So what did he do? Well, he kind of sort of made some incidental minor contact with Garoppolo's head with his face mask. So basically Garoppolo lowers his shoulder and kind of shrinks up to take the hit. Minka Fitzpatrick Going high, doesn't go low, doesn't lead with the helmet, nothing like that. Just goes for a regular tackle. A regular, regular tackle. Hits him in the shoulder pad first, too, and everything. With with his helmet, just a regular tackle. Like, he doesn't, again, doesn't lower his head. That's a, a very key thing here. He just goes after him, head up, arms out to wrap him up. That's exactly what he does. And it's a regular tackle. They call it roughing the passer half the distance to the goal, automatic first down. That, of course, puts them uh, inside the 10 at that point. And on third down, where they would have either had to go for it on fourth and and try to convert or kick a field goal and, and hope that they can get some more stops, whatever the case may be. So that call completely alters the game just completely alters the game. The Steelers go from being in pretty far command and the Raiders having to convert that fourth down or whatever they're going to have to do there um, to the Raiders being essentially gifted first and goal and um, on on a BS soft, soft, S-A-W-F-T soft call. And uh, the Raiders convert, they score, touchdown. Uh, they get the two-point conversion as well. So that makes the game 23-15. Puts them eight points. So for all of us at home, of course, that are just casual fans, we're not NFL coaches or former players or um, anything like that. But for all the listeners at home, just do a quick little math total in your head. Eight points. You need eight points. So how do you get eight points in the National Football League? Two field goals and a safety. Okay, well, you do that. That's probably not going to happen in the last uh, five or six minutes of a game. But okay, well, you can do that. Two safeties or a safety and a, and uh, two field goals. How about four safeties? How about that? Yeah. Okay. Um, or you could take the much quote unquote easier route of scoring a touchdown for six points and getting the two point conversion. Right? Makes perfect sense. That's exactly what you need to be. That's that's the game plan. Tried and true for a hundred years. All right, you're gonna need, or however long they've had two point conversions, you're gonna need two points on top of the touchdown. All right, so the game plan's in front of you. You got to give the ball back to the Steelers and get a stop, and then you're gonna go need to score a touchdown, and get that two point conversion. Everybody knows it. Everybody's like, "Yep, that's exactly what the announcers are talking about." Oh, for the record, the announcers and the replay official, like rules analyst guy that uh, they had on NBC all said that that was not roughing the passer as well. I'll just throw that in there. They all said, nope, not a penalty. Unbelievable that it was called. So moving moving back to that, though, everybody knows. The announcers are talking about it. Uh, we're talking about it in my living room with my family. Everybody's talking about it. All right. They need a touchdown and a two-point conversion. Well, they do get that stop without taking too much time off the clock. They get the ball back. 
and they're driving downfield. They get down there. Fourth down, and I believe four. Fourth and four or fourth and six. From about, what was that, the 25? Something like that. Outside the red zone, just barely. Pretty comfortably in field goal range. But you don't need a field goal here. You need six points. Well, it's fourth down and four to go. Well, Josh McDaniels thinks we need three points. He sends the field goal unit out. When you are fourth down and four yards to go, down eight, with just under three minutes left, or three, just over three minutes, about three and a half minutes to play. Everybody and their mother is sitting at home going, huh? I'm no NFL coach, but uh, what the heck difference does it make if you kick a field goal here and go down five instead of just going for it when you when it's so hard to gain yards in the NFL, and especially at the end of games? It's so hard to gain yards. It's so hard to get downfield and get into a position to where you can realistically find the end zone in a play or two. So difficult to do that. And he goes, nope, we're sending out the field goal unit. We're going to kick field goal. So, of course, his logic is, well, if we make it five, then we don't need the two-point conversion when we score a touchdown. Because of course, But, of course, you have to – they have all three timeouts and the two-minute warning, but you have to get the stop. One first down and the game is over, you dope. Well, he goes, no, nah, it doesn't matter. We're going to – that's what we're going to do. Okay. They go out and they try to kick the field goal. A rare – and I mean rare penalty is called on the field goal attempt. The Steelers are called for the penalty known as leverage, where you are not allowed to use another player to like boost you up. You can't jump on somebody's back or or use their shoulder pads to leap up or something like that on uh to try to block the field goal. I can't remember the last time I saw leverage called as a penalty, but he did it. It was, and it is a penalty. But what I didn't know was that penalty is a personal foul. It's a 15-yard penalty to do that, and an automatic first down. So they've got first down, from first down and... Let's see, where do they start from? So I think they started from the 14, if I remember right. So first down and 10 from the 14-yard line now. So now it's really looking like, oh my God, that that roughing the passer call could cost the Steelers the game. It could. They're right here. They could score and get this two-point conversion. The game is tied all because of a terrible call on the previous drive. Well, they end up picking up six yards before faced again with a fourth down and four from the eight-yard line. The end zone is right there. You can smell. You can smell it. Smell the end zone, the grass, the dew, and the paint on the grass. You can. It's right there. Fourth down and four. You need eight points. 
touchdown, two-point conversion. You went, okay. Okay, Josh McDaniels. We got like two, 220 to go here, right? And we got 220 to go. You know, maybe maybe your strategy worked when there was four minutes left. Doesn't work now. We got to get a touchdown. Got got to get six. Josh McDaniels goes, send out the kicker. He does it again. He sends the kicker out on fourth and four from the eight-yard line. I mean, I'm. it's not hyperbole when I say that's a fireable offense. That is a fireable offense. That is malfeasance in coach. That's malpractice in coaching. Unbelievably ignorant call. He kicks the field goal. They get it. They make it. It's 23 to 18. Right? 23 18. So what happens next? Well, they kick it back off to the Steelers. What happens next? Steelers run it for like four or five yards. Uh, the two minute warning happens. Uh, the Steelers run it for another couple of yards. I think it's a third and short. The, the Raiders take a timeout. Steelers pick up a first down. Game over. Because uh, they pick up the first. They use the next two timeouts. They burn the clock down. And they kick it back to the Raiders. Where the Raiders would take over from their own 17-yard line with 12 seconds left. The first play of the drive, Jimmy Garoppolo throws a disgusting interception. <laughs> Game over. So Josh McDaniels in the press conference afterwards, his his uh, reasoning, his justification was, well, yeah, we just we wanted to get the stop and uh, then go get seven and win the game. Instead of, oh, I don't know, we can tie the game right now. Or at least try to. So supposedly the Raiders can't fire Josh McDaniels because they are, quote, cash poor. They don't have enough money to pay him what his contract would require them to pay and then pay a new coach that they would hire. So he's going to be here with the Raiders. So if you're a Raiders fan, you can go ahead and turn the television off when the Raiders come on every Sunday because that man is a moron. He is not an NFL head coach. He might have done a solid job as the O coordinator for the for the Patriots with Tom Brady when they had him and all the other stuff they had going on in New England. Belichick, you got the defense to lean on. Not not in Las Vegas. That man is stupid. So sorry, Raiders fans. That's how that uh, that's how that uh, came out. And we move on to the last uh, games, which were the Monday night games. We had another Monday night doubleheader. Eagles, Buccaneers, Eagles trounced the Buccaneers 25-11. to That game was never close. I think it was 25-3 there at the end. Buccaneers tacked on a touchdown in garbage time. Game was never really close. Eagles didn't exactly dominate them by you know scoring a ton of points, but they controlled the game the way that they needed to and cruised to a comfortable victory to move to 3-0. Eagles looking just as good as last year. Uh, not really much else to say about that game, to be honest. Rams and Bengals. Um, Joe Burrow still doesn't look like Joe Burrow. Uh, Stafford and the Rams are clearly suffering with the lack of, uh, you know, no Cooper Cup out there and and the loss of some weapons that they have once had. Uh, they fall to one and two. The Bengals improve to one and two after the rough start, but the Bengals just getting by nineteen sixteen. That one came down to the wire. Uh, when uh, you look at it on paper, and it, on paper it really shouldn't have, right? The the 
Bengals should be the much better team, but uh, that was a rematch of the Super Bowl two years ago where the Rams came out on top of the Bengals, and uh, this time the Bengals get on top of the Rams in this uh, Monday night matchup uh, where you just, if you're a Bengals fan, you have to hope that Burrow, his calf injury continues to get better, and, and maybe he warms up and starts to look like the Burrow that uh, that you've seen before because uh, he just didn't look good again uh, in that one. I think two interceptions for Burrow, maybe. Let me let me just double check that to be sure. Uh, Stafford threw two. Sorry, Stafford threw two. Burrow threw one. But he was just 26 for 49 for 259 yards, zero touchdowns, one interception. The Bengals' one touchdown came on a Joe Mixon run. Joe Mixon carried the ball 19 times for 65 yards and one touchdown, only a 3.4-yard average. And... Uh, yeah, Burrow threw the ball 49 times for 259 yards in one pick. Uh, so just not not a good good day. Jamar Chase had 12 catches for 141 yards on 15 targets. So 12 for 15 throwing to Jamar, but uh, could not get the ball to anybody else uh, for any other substantial amount of yardage. So, uh, so Bengals fans just have to hope that he gets better uh, as the season progresses and feels better and healthier and everything there. So there you have it. That's our week three uh, roundup. And uh, I figured here we'd go ahead and move on to week four just to, uh, I thought maybe we should give my predictions. Like maybe I should, uh, should write down who I think is going to win, tell you guys who I think should win. Um, and uh, then we can revisit it the next week and see how right I was. <laughs> so we have Lions and Packers up on Thursday in Lambeau. I think the Lions take it. I just I don't think the Packers have the weaponry. I don't think they have what it takes to hold back the Lions, uh, much like the Lions beat them uh, in the last week of the season to keep the pack out of the playoffs. I think the Lions take this one on Thursday on the road. Uh, Falcons, Jaguars. I think the Jaguars bounce back. I think the Jaguars bounce back and they defeat the Falcons uh, that game is in London. Uh, that is one of our uh, international games. It's uh, it's in London. It is at uh, 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time, uh, which I think makes it 3.30 p.m. for the Brits over there in London. Uh, so you'll have to wake up early if you want to watch that one. And the Dolphins and Bills. This could be a good one. This is in Buffalo. You know... I'm going to say the Bills take it at home against uh, against the Dolphins. I think that they're going to bounce back. I think they'll make it rough on Tua um, and, uh, and everything. Let's see. I think, that, I think they'll bounce back there. The Vikings playing the Panthers. Uh, I believe the Vikings take that one, as I stated earlier. Broncos and Bears. Uh, Broncos should bounce back and take that one. The Bears are awful. Uh, the Broncos haven't looked much better, but perhaps the Broncos can get their first win of the season there. Uh, Ravens-Browns. You know, uh, I think that one is in Cleveland. Uh, I think the Ravens will bounce bounce back after this tough loss against the Colts, and they're going to beat the Browns, but I think it'll be close. We'll see. I think that's going to be a close one. That's going to be like a 28-24 type game. 
uh, 31-28, that kind of thing. Uh, Steelers-Texans. That one's in Houston. Hmm. Let's say... I'm going to say... I'm going to be bold here. No, nah, I'm going to say the Steelers take it. I thought about saying the Texans take it, but I think the Steelers' defense is going to pick them up in that one. Uh, I think it might be an old slobber knocker, though. It's going to be like 20-13, to 13, the Steelers win. Uh, Rams and Colts. I have no idea if Richardson is going to be back for that game. That's in Indianapolis. I'm going to go ahead and say the Colts take that one. Uh, Buccaneers-Saints in New Orleans. I'm going to go ahead and say the Buccaneers take that one. Um on the road, Washington and Philadelphia. The Eagles are going to take that one. I don't. Even, it doesn't even matter where that is. It's in Philly, so that makes it even worse. I think the Bengals bounce back here, maybe a little bit. They beat the Titans on the road. Uh, Raiders, Chargers, Chargers take that one. Move to two and two. I think Patriots, Cowboys, Cowboys probably going to take that one pretty easily. Uh, Cardinals, Niners. We're going to say 49ers. Uh, Chiefs, Jets. <laughs> LOL. Um, Seahawks, Giants. Uh, ooh. You know what? That's at home. Giants are taking it. Let's go, Giants. Go Big Blue. So there you have it. Those are my picks. Those are who I think will win this week. We'll see how right I am when we record next week's show. Um, let me move on to the NASCAR discussion now. I'm going to take a little quick sip here and catch my breath, and we'll move on to the NASCAR portion. Just give me one second. All right, so last Sunday, yesterday, two days ago, sorry, NASCAR race at Texas Motor Speedway. Um, of course, over in the uh, the Cup Series, uh, this is the first race of the round of 12 for the playoffs. So four more drivers will be knocked off when we move to the round of eight after the Charlotte Roval in two weeks. We've got Talladega coming up this Sunday. Should be a hell of a race. Talladega. Uh, always producing the uh, exciting finishes and big crashes and everything uh, due to that plate track and how big and wide and maneuverable it is. So then the Roval will come after that. This is probably the last time you're ever going to see the Charlotte, Charlotte Roval with how well that the intermediate tracks have been running under this new next-gen package. They will probably be ditching the Roval next year. That's my prediction, at least. I think you're going to get uh, two Charlotte uh, races back on the schedule. You're going to get a 600 and a 500 uh, miler, maybe 400. I don't remember how they did it before, but, um, uh, when they had the second race there, but, um, I do think that, uh, the Roval will be done after this, after this, uh, year. I think it's the last time you're going to see it, just like it's the last time we saw the Indy road course. So I think that's going to be cooked as well. We're going back to the oval at, uh, Indianapolis or the square, if you will, the lasagna shape. Um, so currently, uh, William Byron leads the points, followed by Denny Hamlin, Chris Buescher, Christopher Bell, Martin Truex Jr., Ross Chastain, Brad Keselowski, and Kyle Larson. That's your top eight at the moment. Currently on the outside looking in, Bubba, Tyler Reddick, Ryan Blaney, and Kyle Busch. Busch uh, wrecked out after a loose, or sorry, a flat tire, tire blue. He was apparently radioing to the team that he felt like he had a tire going down. They told him to stay out to finish the first stage. He blew the tire uh, in turn two, slammed into the wall, 
and then backed it all the way around the track. I have a video of that. I'll put it on some social media. Got a video of that uh, from my seat. I was sitting in between turn four and the start finish line. Uh, so, you know, when they come out of the corner and head down the into the first part of the dog leg, pretty good seats. I was very satisfied with that. They were free with the NASCAR rewards. Uh, download the NASCAR app. Uh, I don't know how many points you'll be able to rack up throughout the rest of the year, but you get 50 points every time you check in on a truck race, Xfinity race, or Cup Series race on the scoreboard in the app. And uh, you get more by playing fantasy and answering the trivia questions. Uh, you get uh, you get some points and save them up. You never know what you can get. They've got all sorts of autograph things and other merchandise and race use things and uh, tickets and other fan experiences, gift cards to the shop, uh, all kinds of fun stuff in uh, in the NASCAR Fan Rewards Program. So definitely check it out. I went to this race for free. Had great tickets. Uh, two tickets for 6,000 points. I have to thank my brother for that. He was the one that was actually on it all year as opposed to myself. But uh took my brother to the to the race, and uh, we had a good time um, there. Had great tickets. Check out the Fan Rewards. We'll talk more about my experience at the race here in just a second after we go over the standings. So Bubba is two points out from that eighth position. Tyler Reddick is three points out from that position. Uh, Ryan Blaney, nine points out from that position. And Kyle Busch. Um, 15 points out from that position. So certainly not uh, an impossible climb. Sorry, 17 points. I miscounted 17 points uh, for Bush and 11 points for Blaney. Not an impossible climb for those guys, especially with Talladega coming up. Uh, you've got to think that Kyle Bush and Ryan Blaney's strategy in particular being the points plus minus that they are uh, to the cut line is going to be to probably stay around the either the back or the front if they can. Uh, at Talladega this week to try to essentially hope that other people wreck out that allow them to gain positions and gain points. Uh, probably try to play it fairly safe uh, for most of the race, and then maybe kind of go for it at the end if they got what they you know what they think that they uh, can deal with. Uh, try to win the race or or get a great uh, finish. Bubba Wallace, Tyler Reddick. Only a few points below that, but they really just need to stay out of trouble. If they can stay out of trouble at Talladega, they have a fighting shot going into the Roval. Uh, the trouble for some of these guys is Bubba is historically very bad at road courses. He just doesn't do well there. Uh, I think he had a better run at Watkins Glen than he usually does, getting like a top 10, I think ninth or something like that at Watkins Glen a few weeks back. But uh, he has just not been that good at road courses throughout his career historically. So uh, I know Bubba is probably quite nervous for Talladega coming up because uh, if he's involved in that carnage, he will be in a very, very deep hole to get out of uh, come uh, come to the Roval. Tyler Reddick, on the other hand, complete opposite. Reddick is a phenomenal road course racer, very good at the road courses. So um, I'm sure he would like to stay out of trouble at Talladega, but uh, and, and that their goal will probably be similar to Blaney and Bush is just bring the car across the finish line. Uh, you know, bring the car across the finish line. Do not finish, you know, DNF. Um, and, uh, you know, look to the Roval and uh, see see if you can score a top five and point your way in. Uh, but it's going to be difficult because they're going to have to outpoint some people that are near this cut line. Kyle Larson near the cut line. We'll talk more about that in a moment uh, or why he's in that position in a moment. Uh, he's only two points to the good. Keselowski, eight points to the good. Chastain, 12 points to the good. So a catastrophic day at Talladega for any of those three guys could put them in a seriously uh, bad bad position, of course. 
heading into the Roval. Um, I mean, it really could for anybody. The only the only guy that is 100% safe is Byron uh, because he won uh, at Texas this past weekend. And Hamlin is as good as you can get, as safe as you can get at least, for that he should not be in, in deep, deep trouble if, any, if things go awry at Talladega. Uh, he'll just need to go out and have a solid day and bring the car across the finish line in Charlotte uh, to advance since he is 37 points to the good in second place. So it's going to be tough for Blaney, Bush, Reddick, Wallace, because they essentially are going to have to outdrive and finish better than Larson, Kozlowski, Chastain, or Truex, or Christopher Bell, or even Chris Busher. They're going to have to have, uh, Busher, Bell, Truex would have to have abysmal days, uh, and they would have to have good days. They'd have to avoid the trouble, and those guys would have to have abysmal days. Uh, Chastain, Kozlowski, Larson would have to get into trouble at Talladega or the Roval. Uh, Larson's good at road courses. He's probably going to be solid at the Roval, maybe even contending to win. Uh, Larson is usually not that great at the super speedways, though. Um, So I'm sure Larson's plan is to just survive, just get across that finish line as well. Uh, Keselowski and RFK, of course, have looked pretty strong this year. Uh, Busher is third in the points at the moment. The other RFK car and those Fords, they've been phenomenal. Uh, so they've got an uphill. Those guys that are outside the top eight have an uphill battle against Larson uh, and Larson and Kozlowski in particular. Uh, Chastain's been kind of up and down this year. He's got a win. Uh, he's got eight top fives and 11 top tens, only two DNFs. But there's been a lot of, you know, 20th place finishes, you know, stuff in the in the back half of the teens there. Not, you know, some not so great finishes for him. Uh, so, but, uh, Chastain absolutely, I think is Chastain's a dark horse to be in that top four when it's all said and done, you know, he could easily win at Talladega next week and lock himself into that next round here. And, um, you know, they could, they could put together a very solid run down these back, back, um, uh, into the schedule here. So that's kind of my impression and opinions moving forward. Now to talk about my experience at Texas itself for the race seats were awesome. Uh, shout out to the fan rewards again for that. Uh, seats were actually great. Um, was pretty surprised at how good they were. Um, let's see. It was 102 degrees with a heat index of like 107 or 108 uh, with the humidity piled in there. On September 24th, yep, you heard that right. On September 24th, it was over 100 degrees here in Texas. That's just the way we have to deal with things. It's terrible. Uh, so we, uh, man, it. I brought, I believe, 10 bottles of Gatorade. Not the fat boys, but like the, you know, the skinny, the, the, the skinnier Gatorade, 16 ounces, whatever they are. I think 16 ounces or, no, 20 ounces, I'm sorry. Brought the 20-ounce bottles, not the 32 or 36-ounce or whatever those other big ones are. Brought 10 of those and brought, I think, eight bottles of water. Stuffed the cooler with ice. I mean, this thing was stuffed. Uh, Brought so many. Uh, When we got home, including the ones we drank in the the truck on the ride home, we had one bottle of Gatorade left and one water left. And I, it was hot. I mean, when we were walking around the trailers and some of the fan experiences, we got there plenty of time before the race. Got there at, uh, I think about 11, 11.30, in the morning. Race started at 2.50, was when the green flag was. I uh, got there in plenty of time because, uh, you know, wanted to make sure to beat the traffic going in 
uh, or have the best chance at beating the traffic going in. Uh, but it was a scorcher. It was supposedly about 160 degrees in the cars and 100, uh, like I said, 102 for us in the in the crowd. But uh, walking around out there at, at you know noontime around the trailers and everything in the sun. I mean, there was a point where we, we'd hit all the merch trailers we wanted to hit. We might have lingered around a little longer, gone for some autographs and things for some places. If it had not been so hot, I, I really got to the point I could feel my heart rate pretty high you know i pushed my brother around in a wheelchair with his disability and everything and so pushing him around in the hot sun at that temperature i could feel my heart rate going up and i was just like i I need to get into the shade and i need to get some some fluids in me and i, I need a breather here so we went ahead and got the tickets out scanned them in and went inside the track you can of course leave the track whenever you want just scan the tickets out go back out to the trailers if you want and stuff but we kind of hit everything we wanted Brother got himself like three T-shirts. I got uh, event pins and a hat for myself and stuff. Trailers were awesome. Fan experiences were awesome. There was this cool Geico thing that had a bunch of parts and pieces from cars over the years, uh, all the way back to the 70s uh, that we checked out. That was inside of a shaded tent, so that was nice with fans. Uh, There was a Monte Carlo from the late 70s that was uh, driven by Lenny Pond. Uh, he beat Daryl Waltrip out for the Rookie of the Year, funny enough. That's just a weird little tidbit that's in the back of my head of information. He beat Daryl Waltrip for the Rookie of the Year, I think, in like 1970. What year was that? 74? 72? 72. That's what it was. 72, sorry. Because uh, Waltrip, when we did our top 10 drivers of all time, and I had Waltrip there, he started his career 72, which was the first year of the modern era of NASCAR with the schedule where it is and the point system. So uh, Lenny Pond beat Daryl Waltrip for the rookie of the year and didn't really do anything else for the rest of his career. But he shared this ride, this Monte Carlo from the seventies that they had on display there uh, was apparently shared with Harry Gant uh, for, uh, for whoever he was driving for there. So that was Harry Gant uh, pre skull bandit days. So pre 1980s, uh, I think Harry took over in the skull car for the Burnt Reynolds, uh, and uh, gosh, I can't remember the other guy's name off the top of my head, but Burnt Reynolds owned the team, um, and uh, he took that over, I think, in 81, 82, somewhere in there, early 80s, so this was pre-that, um, and uh, so that was pretty cool to see, and uh, some other cars uh, from other sponsors and things that were out there and and everything. Uh, then we went in the track, caught, caught my breath, um, you know, in the shade there, got the heart rate back down, got some fluids in me uh, and everything. We got something to eat for the both of us and, you know, got, got something to eat, got something to drink. Uh, checked out some of the stuff inside the track there. Um, and then just kind of hung out under the grandstands for about 20 minutes before the race started there uh, so that we would be in the shade for as long as possible with the breeze coming in from the track and everything. Then we went out there, got the seats um, right before they started the national anthem. And it was pretty dang brutal sitting in that seat for the first um, pretty much stage and a half. Uh, basically about half the race, it was still in the sun. The clouds were not saving us uh, from the sun. Just sitting in that hot sun, watching those cars go around. Um, and um, then it, with about 30 to go in the in stage two, the sun finally descended behind the suites above our heads. So we finally were in the shade, and it was much more bearable once once we were in the shade and uh, and everything much more bearable. Stayed all the way to the last lap. 
uh, and watched watched them cross start finish line. Then we headed out, beat the traffic, uh, got out of there pretty smoothly. See the trick when you go to a NASCAR race anywhere: park at the back of the parking lot behind the gate that you're at. So we were at gate three, parked at the back. Even though I'm pushing him, you know, in a wheelchair and everything, I don't mind the walk and everything because you will beat a lot of traffic getting out of there. We got right in the truck, got right out of an exit. And I got away from the, the, the track as fast as possible and uh, really didn't take that much time at all. Wasn't stuck in traffic at all. So, uh, And uh, so back to the actual race and stuff, too. Uh, so the crowd was pretty good. I'd say it was about 70% full there. I'd say it was about 70%, maybe three quarters there, somewhere in that range, full. Uh, the corners, uh, you know, deep into turn two and uh, deep into turn four were not very populated. They never are. Uh, everybody wants to be kind of front straight away. Um, but uh, it was pretty full, pretty full, about 70% full, even though, which I was very surprised at, to be honest, good at considering what the temperature was going to be. Uh, they they stayed, Denny Hamlin tweeted it, the fans were the real MVPs, uh, something along those lines, or the fans were the real heroes for, for coming out for that. So, you know, I have soured on Denny Hamlin in recent years due to some of his behavior, but uh, I appreciated him seeing that and shouting the fans out. That was cool uh, because, yeah, it was most certainly brutal in the crowd. I, I can't even describe it. It was so hot. I've, I, The only other time I've been that hot was when I was at the All-Star race two years ago. So funny enough, that was the hottest race in the history of Texas Motor Speedway. And the second hottest race was the 2021 All-Star race that I was also at. And that one was, I felt like, was a worse experience, though, overall, maybe, because you weren't, it was coming out of COVID, and they didn't allow anybody to bring in coolers. You could bring in drinks in plastic bags, but you couldn't bring in coolers. So we're drinking lukewarm Gatorade and water, um, warm Gatorade and water all day, and it wasn't good. So anyway, mostly full. Uh, the race sucked as usual because it's Texas, but weirdly it was like it was decent for a Texas race, but that's not saying much. It wasn't very good. It was whoever got out in clean air dominated. So Bubba Wallace qualified on the pole. He took off on the restart. He led the the first portion of the race very easily. Nobody even came close to catching him. He probably had about a six-car length lead, six, seven-car length lead the entire time over, I think, Busher maybe worked his way up to second. I don't remember uh, exactly offhand. Um, but whoever got out in clear and air, clean air dominated, uh, there was a caution. I think it was Austin Dillon losing his wheel, um, in after the first set of pit stops that brought out a caution, uh, Bubba got shuffled back at that point and his teammate Tyler Reddick was in the lead. Well, Reddick went out there and put about a 20 car length gap on everybody. Uh, so clean air once again, clean air was, it was just, it's so disgusting when you're actually sitting there too, and you're not watching it on TV. So you can actually watch the whole track and watch everybody else. Hardly any passing, especially once you got off of the restart, once you got off the restart, maybe there'd be a little shuffling for position two or three positions or something, but, uh, two really at most. But uh, once you got out green flag racing, nobody could catch anybody. You could run, you could get as close as maybe two or three car lengths of the other car, but you couldn't pass them because the dirty air uh, problem is disgusting. And I could go on and rant about this forever, but the, you know the episode's already an hour forty-five long, so I won't. 
but uh, I could rant about this forever, but the dirty air need, that is the number one priority that needs to be fixed at every track is the dirty air is just disgusting. I mean, it's always going to be beneficial to have clean air. I've mentioned this before in talking about the packages and it always has been, but it's, it's so it penalizes the cars in the wake in that dirty air so much worse than it ever has this last, like basically 15 years, uh, last 10, 15 years has been just a disgusting penalty when you're in dirty air uh, that makes it very difficult to get to cars ahead of you and pass them. Uh, you you just can't outdrive anybody when your car just simply will not run. You cannot make it run better than the cars, uh, cars in front of you. Uh, so you end up with the Texas freight train, which the track has been like that for 26 years since its inception. But, uh, yeah, Tyler Reddick got out there and led him around, freight trained him around. Uh, it was obvious that Bubba Wallace's car, since he qualified on the pole, Bubba Wallace's car was a good car, obviously, since he, he polled uh, with it. But uh, it struggled pretty mightily in dirty air. That was pretty apparent. Uh, he could not move in dirty air. In fact, I think most of the time he was in dirty air, he dropped spots after extended periods of time. Uh, there was a point after the second set of pit stops, I think, where... So when we got the cloud cover coming, Cliff Daniels, Kyle Larson's crew chief, is the best crew chief in the garage, bar none. It's not even a question. It's not even close. Uh, because the amount of times you'll watch a race and Larson's running about 10th or so, and then you get to about halfway through the race and all of a sudden Larson's got the best car on the track, that's crew chief, baby. He is making those adjustments. And he did it for Larson uh, on Sunday at Texas as well. When the clouds came, he must have had something up his sleeve, something figured out for when the cloud or when the sun finally set down behind the suites there and the track got clouded or uh, shaded, I should say, uh, because he uh, Larson, I was, I was texting my dad during the race, too, because he's watching it on TV. And I told him because Larson was about fifth with about 40 to go in the stage in the second stage. And I texted him. I said, I was like, Larson, Larson's got it. Larson's moving. Larson, all of a sudden, I said, Larson is passing people. He passed for, for uh, fifth, he passed for fourth, and he passed for third, and he passed for second. And I said, I just, I was texting him every couple of minutes. I said, Larson is moving. He's actually passing. Nobody else can pass, but Larson is passing. He's catching and passing. I said, he's got a rocket ship. And he passed for second. And I told him, I said, he's going to, well, I said, he took, just took second. He's going to pass. Or he's going to pass Bubba in about, because uh, Bubba had retaken the lead after another pit cycle and stuff too, and he had like probably 15 or so car lengths on second place. I said, he's going to get him in about five laps. He got him in three laps from that. And then within another couple of laps of that, he'd put 15, 20 cars, car lengths on, on Bubba in second. Bubba fell like an absolute rock. After this tells you, this is an example of how strong the clean air is there. Bubba went from leading by about 15 car lengths, probably about what would be considered about four seconds, three or four seconds. He went from leading by about three or four seconds to being passed for the lead and then losing, dropping to third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth. He was all the way back in ninth. With, I forget how many to go in the stage. And I think there was a caution. They got some spots back on pit road. And I think they managed to finish that stage like sixth, fifth or sixth, because they got a couple back on pit road. But he dropped from first to ninth 
that's how insane the dirty air is and how much more it penalizes your car. Uh, and especially at that dumpster fire of a track, Texas Motor Speedway. It's my local track. The track stinks. Um, I, I said it before. They have to do something. After going there to that race again, too, the, the, this car, this next-gen car, has been phenomenal at mile and a half. It's brought back the excitement for Charlotte and Kansas and uh, Darlington, a lot of these other places that had struggled, these intermediate tracks that had struggled uh, in recent years. They have been excellent with the next-gen car. Uh, Texas is not one of them. Texas was once again terrible. It was just awful again. I've been to a lot of Texas races, and it it has been bad every single time. But it was bad again. And uh, you know, Marcus Smith, uh, own you know that owns Speedway Motorsports Incorporated. Uh, he's discussed publicly, like, yeah, we're going to do something about it. We just don't know what yet. We're working on it in the simulations, uh, and I racing and everything. We're trying to figure out what we can do to make the track better. They're going to try. I hope they hit on something. Uh, the market is huge there. People that come from Arizona, uh, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, people that drive down from Kansas to come to that race too. They might go to Kansas as well, but they come down to go to Texas, go to a race. There are a lot of people that come down there. They showed out heavily for it, even though it was 102 freaking degrees. They got to do something to reward the fans for their loyalty. Uh, the, the track needs to be fixed, and and they'll figure it out. So uh, I I feel confident that they'll at least th- that they will do something they will not continue to trot the cars out there onto the same old track but we'll have to see um anyway going back to my race analysis uh larson was the best car it wasn't even close they restarted again after that he was leading by a ton by the time we got into the final stage uh he had put an entire straightaway on second place he was entering turn three when second place was coming off of turn two uh he was the dominant car it looked easily like he was going to win counting down the laps uh i'm telling you know telling my brother like okay you know if there's about 20 to go and he's got everybody dusted like this you know we're probably going to go ahead and leave uh just so that we can get out and beat the traffic and not have an issue uh and everything just get home and the laps are ticking down 40 to go 30 to go i'm like okay we're getting pretty close to that 25 to go jj yaley just loses it and spins off turn four caution well larson stays out bubba stays out he moves bubba moves from like sixth to second because he hadn't been doing anything after being in the dirty air he was stuck back there and didn't do nothing uh he moves up to second and i think i'm like oh lord i swear to god if bubba does something to steal this race because if he gets that car out in clean air the only guy that can beat him is larson so i'm like you know and i'm holding my breath on the restart uh, and so there's 15 to go when the restart. No, it was, I guess it was, I don't, I don't remember exactly. Uh, I think they restarted with 15 to go after the, yeah, after the Larson incident. So basically Larson and Bubba are side by side, uh, for a lap after the restart, Bubba's driving him very hard, not giving him a single inch uh, on the outside lane, Larson on the inside, Larson jams it into the corner on the second time around into turn one, and the air gets sucked off of him. Bubba did not give that man a single inch. The air gets sucked off of him, and um, uh, Larson goes around, backs it into the wall, slams into it, and I'm sitting there because I'm a well, I'm well documented. I do not like Bubba Wallace. 
And before anybody gets on me, you're a racist. No, I don't like Bubba Wallace because he's a crybaby and a whiner. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's the most basic where it boils down to. I do not like the guy because he's a crybaby and a whiner. Um, and I'm like, are you kidding me? In my hierarchy, I could talk about this more, but in my hierarchy of drivers, I don't like top of the list, Bubba, then Joey Logano, then Brad Keselowski probably, and then Austin Dillon. Those are the guys and the only guys that I have like genuine animosity. Well, Ty Gibbs too, I guess, but he's a, he's a top five, distant top five. Those are the guys that I have genuine animosity about where I'm like, ew, ew, ew. If they win a race or do good, it angers me. Uh, nobody else angers me. Those guys anger me when they do well and, or win a race. Um, and I'll talk about that maybe in a future episode. I'll talk about, I'll break down each of those and why I don't like them. But um, anyway, uh, so I'm like, are you kidding me? Because he's going to, he's in first, which first of all, I, I could be wrong, but I think NASCAR was giving him a gift too, because it sure looked like Eric Jones and William Byron passed him before the caution came out after Larson spun, but they scored him in first. So I was like, okay. And it was like, oh my God, he's going to win these restarts. He's going to get in clean air and nobody's going to catch him because there was only one car on the track that could catch him. And he just wrecked. So I sat there like no freaking way that after Larson had the strongest car and was clearly not going to be beat by anybody is this guy going to win this race so um they restart and Bubba takes off and he clears Eric Jones because I'm like oh my god Eric Jones he's been running good today but he just does he doesn't have the car he's not going to beat him Bubba's car is better and sure enough but they, they restart they take off Bubba's in the lead but Bubba took the outside uh against against Jones which I was like, huh, well, that's weird. How would he take the outside? Because for reference, too, I don't know why he did that. He did it three restarts in a row. He took the outside against Larson, and he made it stick enough for Larson to wreck. See, if Larson doesn't wreck right there, too, Larson would have gotten him eventually. There was, there was only however many to go, 25 to go or something, but Larson would have gotten him uh, eventually. Uh, and Larson said, said as much in the post-race interview is like, we're not used to the cars being sucked around like that with the air. It usually doesn't happen with this car. So that's why I drove it in so deep. If I knew that I probably would have backed off a little and gotten him later. So it was like, I, no doubt. I think Larson would have been able to just track him down and pass him if he would have just given him, you know, not gone around there. Regardless, Bubba takes the outside again. I was like, what are you doing? Cause I'm watching the whole race. And on restarts, nobody passed on the outside. Nobody. Literally nobody. Nobody, nobody, nobody. The inside, there's only one groove that works at Texas Motor Speedway. One. One singular groove. And it's right on the bottom of the track. On the inside. That's it. And on every restart, when people would gain positions, it was on the inside. That was it. You could not gain positions on the outside. Nobody completed a pass on the outside except for Kyle Larson. I saw him do it once or twice when he started making his charge through the field late in the race, as I discussed earlier, when I noticed it, when I noticed that the speed was there for him. 
he made a couple of passes on the outside, and I was sitting there like, what the hell? Outside? Nobody else was able to do that all race. So Bubba took the outside again, but this time from the control position where he's the leader. He can take the inside if he wants. Nope, takes the outside. I thought, oh my God, he might actually screw himself here. Well, he gets a good restart and the 43 gets a bad restart. And he, um, or no, maybe Byron was in second. Byron gets a bad restart. I think that's what happened. Byron gets a bad restart. Bubba clears him easily. And I'm like, oh my God, that's right. Jones wasn't up there. I'm sorry, Jones pitted. Uh, with Hamlin. That's how Bubba got back up there in the first place. So the 24 gets a bad restart. I'm like, oh no, you had the inside and you got a bad restart. No, he's going to win. Nobody's going to catch him. The 24 doesn't have the car to catch him. Well, they come around to the start finish line once again, and there's a wreck in the back of the field. And poor Eric Jones was involved, as was Blaney and uh, a few other, Kislowski, I think, too, a few others get involved in that. Another caution. So they're going to restart with seven to go. I'm like, oh, my God, he's got another chance at it. You know, the 24, whoever's going to be up there has got another chance at it. So we got Bubba lines up on the outside once again, which was inexplicable to me. I thought, no way. Is Does he seriously think that, does he think he can, can do that again? You know, get a, get a good jump off the outside again? Well, he chose the outside. Byron, of course, takes the inside. Says, "If you'll give it to me." Um, then I believe Byron had the twenty, the nine behind him, pushing him, or that could push him. And I forget who Bubba had behind him there at the end. Uh, oh, Chastain, I believe, was in the mix there. So maybe it was Chastain behind the twenty-four and the nine behind Bubba. I don't remember exactly, but uh, they go for the restart again, and this time Byron gets a way better restart. And he's with Bubba in the corner. I'm like, come on, stick it, stick it, stick it, stick it. Because Bubba's kind of getting a little bit of a run on the outside. And Bubba was like two feet from clearing him as they went into turn three on this on after the restart. And the 24 made it stick. And Bubba got loose on the outside. And the 24 stuck it and took the lead. And then Chastain swooped down there. and took. I'm wearing my Ross Chastain t-shirt, of course, too, at the race. Chastain sticks his nose in there and dives down underneath him, and Bubba goes from first to third on that single restart. Uh, almost gets passed to drop to fourth. I'm sure if they would have ran another 20 laps, he would have lost another position or two because his car was just trash and dirty air. It just wasn't very good. Uh, it was only when he had the clear, clean air on the nose could he do something with it, and that was it. And uh, 24, I was sitting there crossing my fingers, please, 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 just get to that white flag. Got to the white flag, crossed that start-finish line, won the race. I said, all right, let's head on out. And basically ran out of the track. Pushing my brother there. I was I was very out of breath by the time I got back to the car. It was still 97 degrees. And that was back in the sun because uh, it was still up a little bit and, and everything. And we got the heck out of there. So uh, thank goodness uh, Bubba didn't win. That would have been just like Logano winning or Austin Dillon winning a race I went to. I'd have been so mad. Uh <laughs> So, um, you know, we'll see what Talladega has in store for us here uh, coming up uh, this weekend on Sunday. And um, that should be a, that should be a very interesting race. We'll see the, the points are going to be extremely interesting after that race. That's for sure. And uh, yeah, so there you have it. That's the that's the NASCAR standings. That's my experience at Texas from the, the fan experience to the environment to the breakdown of the race. As I gave you the in-depth breakdown. Uh, on that and um, 
that's going to go ahead and conclude our uh, NASCAR segment for today, as well as uh, our podcast for this week. So, uh, you know, you guys can look for another episode uh, beginning of October there next week, probably next Tuesday or Wednesday as well, when I have time to sit down and record it. And we'll break down more NFL stuff, more NASCAR stuff. We'll see how the MLB season is uh, shaking out and uh, who's in the playoffs, who's not, who's playing each other, predictions, all that good stuff. And, uh, yeah, thanks again, everybody, to who made it to this part of the episode. Uh, thank you for listening to the Victory Cigar Podcast uh, here on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And uh, don't forget to follow Victory Cigar Pod on X, formerly known as Twitter. Uh, it's at Victory Cigar Pod. And uh, you'll always see new information posted there about when uh, new episodes are out and what they're about and all that stuff. And uh, I'm going to try to use that account for more sports engagement and sports talk as well um, on a more regular basis. So be sure to follow that uh, that on Twitter at Victory Cigar Pod. And uh, give me feedback, you know, whether it's on Twitter or anywhere else that where you guys know me from. Uh, I'd love to hear feedback on the episode. Give me your opinions, where you agreed with me, where you disagreed with me. Let's talk about it. I'd love to hear more. So thank you so much uh, to everybody who made it to this part of the podcast for listening. And don't forget to follow at Victory Cigar Pod on Twitter. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. <laughs>